So, we're in a brand new series. It's called Hungry. I remember this, I don't know, okay. So I have no reference point. I saw it like 40 years ago, <laughs> right? 30 or 40 years ago, I saw a movie. Uh, I saw a movie 30 or 40 years ago. It was uh, like one of those Lassie movies. It could have been Lassie, it could have not been Lassie. I don't know. But what had happened was, is that the dog had managed to get the people to safety. You know how the dog always manages, right? Where, what, bark, bark, what, dog? They're, they're down in the ditch, in the cellar, around the corner? Yeah, yeah, you know, and the dog would speak to the people and all that fun. Um, and so what would happen was um, that the dog would do all that. And the dog, I guess, got the people, like, in a period of weeks and months, uh, carried the people, led them through the desert and the field and the water, whatever they, they came. And so after he had done this, the dog was near death, and they gave the dog a little, like, water or food, and the dog, and the dog wouldn't take anything. And I remember that. As a little boy, it's the strangest thing what you remember, right? I remember them saying, oh, he has no appetite. He's been hungry for too long. He has no appetite. He's been hungry for too long. And I remember thinking about that and thinking about that in my own life. How I can starve myself of spiritual things to the degree that I don't have hunger for them anymore. Have you ever done that? I've done that. I've done that. Where you, you don't pray and then when you finally realize you don't pray, you go, I don't even want to pray. I have no hunger for prayer. I know what it's like to not read my Bible for months on end. And then somebody go, read your Bible. And I go, I know I should. But I have no hunger to read my Bible. I have no desire to read my Bible. Because there's a correlation between what you feed and what you're hungry for. Right? So if you feed things in your life, the interesting thing about it is that the more you feed them, the more hungry you become for them. This is how addictions happen. Everybody knows this. This is not, this is not like uncommon long knowledge. This is not like just Christian jargon. Everybody knows that when you have a drink, and then you have another drink, and then you have another drink, you don't get more satisfied with drink, you want more drink. This is true for, you know, for any drug that we can point out. This is true. Isn't it true, guys? This is true with the images that you look at. The study after study after study has been done. And what they find is that the more men watch pornography, the less they desire actual interaction with their wives. Why? Because when you feed yourself on something or when you starve something else, your appetite doesn't grow for that thing. It diminishes. So we're coming to the series, and what we want to do for a lot of you is to reawaken your appetite for God. We want to we want you to start craving, longing, desiring, spending time with Jesus, enjoying Jesus. 
There was a, a time where um, I was uh, on a, a long fast. And it, was, it was a long fast. And so what a fast is simply, I was just denying my body food so that I could feast on Christ. And I realized um, somewhere in the midst of that fast how much food plays a part in my not desiring God. And here's what I mean. I get anxious and I get worried, and so then I eat. Is anybody like this? Right? Like, so I get, I get anxieties. I get concerns. I remember one day I had an argument with a person on the phone, which is like, this is part of my job description. And so I, was, I, uh, I got into this dispute with this person on the phone, and I'm trying to direct them and guide them and so forth. And they weren't trying to hear what I had to say, so we hung up. And I remember I have this trail mix um, on the side. And so I grabbed the bag of trail mix, and I opened it up, and I, picked, and I was like, I'm not even hungry. What am I doing? And the reason was is because that was where I went to when my anxieties kicked up. That was where I went to. Where do you go to when you're afraid, when you're hungry, when you're... Here's what I discovered in the midst of my fast, is that food, the way I use food, not food in general, but the way I use food, deadens my deep longing for Jesus. That, in other words, rather than going to Jesus and finding my satisfaction and security in him, I go to these other things to find my satisfaction and security. In my case, it's food. What's yours? I don't know. I don't know what yours is. You know what yours is, don't you? What you run to? When? And so what we're saying is, in this series, and we're going to be working through this series for the next four weeks, what we're saying is, is that we want to reawaken your longings for Jesus. We want to reawaken your desires for Christ. That you would no longer go to a idol like food, like sex, like popularity, like control, like approval. That you wouldn't go to any of these other idols to be okay, but that you would run to Christ to find your satisfaction and your joy. And so one of the places, and, and God knows that all of us are going to struggle with longing for him. And what he wants to do is he wants to give us a reminder of who he is. Because the longer we meditate on who God is, the longer we'll long for him. And so today, well, this series is going to be in one chapter of the Bible. We're going to spend four weeks on Psalm 103. So you could bookmark that in your Bible. It's Psalm 103. And as we look at this psalm, we're going to see that this psalm is the solution for our anxieties. This psalm is the solution for our fears. This psalm is the solution for our insecurities. This psalm is the solution for our dissatisfaction. This psalm is the solution for our uh, depression, not the biological kind, the circumstantial kind. This psalm is the solution for those things. And so what we're going to do is we're going to open up God's word and see if he can't speak to us in a powerful way. So one of the things that we do is if you have a scripture with you, we put them in your bulletin. We also have them on the screen. We're going to read God's word. Would you stand up with me as we read God's word? Okay. 
And we'll read these first. We're just going to spend time on the first five verses. And we'll read them together. Um, you guys can go ahead and uh, read in a nice, loud voice on the count of three. Okay, you ready? One, two, three. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion? Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? I love that. Amen. This is God's word. Please have a seat. This is awesome. So you and I will... All of the problems in life, let me tell you something, all of the struggles in life, all of the, all of the obstacles that we come through emotionally in life, the solution is found right here. Amen. Right here. And so we're going to talk about what that looks like, okay? So we, we look at Psalm uh, 103 and we look at verse 1 and it says this. Let's look at verse 1 and 2. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. It's the song that we just, um, it's the song that we just sung. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul, worship his holy name. You see, the reason that you and I can go through anxieties, the reason that we cannot long for God, the reason that we can... Uh, we can find that our desires for Jesus are quenched is because we do one of two things. We find ourselves um, listening to ourselves and not speaking to ourselves or preaching to ourselves. Do you understand what I'm saying when I say we listen to ourselves rather than preach to ourselves? So here's what happens. We'll get into a circumstance. Say that... Um, I just recently, um, I, I'm, I'm finishing up my degree, and I just took a midterm, and I thought I was going to get a 95, and I got an 88, right? So I was like super disappointed, right? And I was like, man, I really wanted, I wanted a really high score for this one because I studied, I prepared. And the kind of things that I start to hear myself say, the self-talk, you know, it's like, oh, man. You're so stupid. How could you mess that up? And then as I look, because, you know, the, it's taken electronically so you could look at the answers. You should have known that. You studied for that. Why did you get that wrong? And in moments like that, I can become very discouraged. Do you ever experience that? Like you, you strive to get something that you really long for, but and then find that you don't. And then you start hearing yourself say negative things about yourself. The psalmist says the solution to this is to command our souls to do something, is to speak to our souls. Here's what he says. Praise the Lord, my soul. Isn't that powerful? Praise the Lord, my soul. Listen, soul, you've been saying tremendous, awful terrible things about me. Now you will praise the Lord. 
Saul, you've been saying discouraging things about me. Now you will praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The psalmist says, if we're going to find ourselves coming up from the darkness of depression, maneuvering through the maze of anxiety, if we're going to get through discouragement and despondency, then we're going to have to command our souls to do something, and it's this. It's praise the Lord. Now, when we praise the Lord, what are we to do? Well, the psalmist goes on and he says this. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Or remember all his benefits. Forget not. Now, this thing about remembering, it's a powerful thing. In, in America or in, in our Western culture, when we think of remember, we think just bring it up to your, bring it up to your, um, your mind. Like, remember. But when the Hebrews talked about remembering, they talked about having something grip your soul. Um, in one of the commentaries I read, it says this, remembering means what's engaging you. Remembering means what is grabbing you at the moment. So it's like this, right? Imagine you're sitting across the chair, uh, sitting across the table from someone having lunch, and you see a big, hairy tarantula crawling up their arm, their sleeve. And you go, I don't know how to tell you this, but there's a big, and imagine like, you know, you're having breakfast with them or something, and they're just like reading the newspaper. And, and you go, I don't know how to tell you this, there's a big hairy tarantula on your arm climbing towards your neck. And they go, uh-huh. And they're like reading the newspaper. And they go, did you hear what I just said? And they said, uh-huh. And, and you go, could you, could you tell me what I just told you? There's a big hairy tarantula crawling on my arm. There's a big hairy tarantula crawling on my arm. And then they like, you know, swat it away or something. What happened with the first time that they said the big hairy tarantula? See, they understood it cognitively, but they didn't know it deeply. You knew that they knew it deeply because and then it affected the way they acted. It affected their emotions. That's what it's talking about. That's what the scriptures are talking about. You, oh yeah, you go, you go, yeah, yeah, sure, Jesus is Lord. Yeah, 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 sure, God has got me. Yeah, 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 sure. But it doesn't, if it doesn't affect your soul, you're not remembering. If it doesn't affect your emotions, you're not remembering. That's why David says, beat this into your head. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. You have forgotten. You have missed it. And so, over and over, David will, um, or the scriptures, not just David, David too, but the scriptures, they remind us, oh wait, I mustn't forget. Because when I forget, listen, do you know why you feel anxiety? Here, here it is, Christian. The reason you feel anxiety is because you've forgotten. Do you know why you relapse? You know why you relapse into that thing that you wish you didn't? You go, you go, I'll never do it again. Have you ever had that moment where you said, I'll never do it again? Am I the only one who's had that moment? A few of us have had that moment, right? And you go, I'll never do it again. Why? When you say that, I'll never do it again, you are remembering. 
you feel, you go, I'll never, that's it. You know, um, um, uh, Taylor Swift has a, a song. Um, do you remember this? It's, it was years ago. It was like, I know because I have three daughters, so I have to know every Taylor Swift song, right? Um, so she, she goes, and we will never, ever, ever get back together. Never, ever, ever get back together. Now, here's the deal. Haven't you said that before? And haven't you gone back to that knucklehead or that knuckle girl, right? right? It's true. And you go, that, that's it. She has cheated me. Uh, she has cheated on me uh, for the last time. And then you go back. Why? Because you don't remember. The reason we go off to lesser gods is because we don't remember how satisfying and fulfilling our true God is. So what we're going to do for the rest of the sermon is start to remember. Start to preach to our own souls. But there's two things that we have to remember that we have to do, okay? Two things that the psalm is instructing us. We have to listen to our souls and we have to preach to our souls. If you fall, you're, the secular people will either emphasize listening to yourself, you know, like be in touch with your emotions, and, and that's fine. Or secular people will emphasize preaching to yourselves, going like in front of the mirror and saying, you're beautiful, you're intelligent, you're very creative, and speaking affirmations. The Bible says you shouldn't do just either one. The Bible says you should both listen and preach to yourself. That if you don't do both, you won't grab your heart, mind, and emotion. You see, because when you talk to yourself, you're just, when you, um, when you listen to yourself, you're just listening to your emotions. And when you speak to yourself, you're only speaking to your mind. But God wants your heart, your soul, and your emotions. And so he says, I want you to listen to yourself. And I want you to preach to yourself in the power of the Spirit as you remember who I am, God would say. So we're going to look at, for the rest of this series, we're going to look at all of the benefits. We're going to stir our souls to remember. And let's start, start to do this in just the first few verses. We see this in verse 3. It says this, Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Now let's start with this one, forgives. You know, there's many of you who walk around with great shame. And, you know, I've said this before, but I'll keep on saying it until you stop doing it. Um, you'll come around and you'll say something like this, you know, I know God forgives me, but I don't forgive me. To which I would say, who are you? That your opinion should matter more than God. We think that that's a humble response. It's an incredibly arrogant response because, in fact, God himself, the king of the universe, has said through Christ, I have forgiven you. You are not an authority above Christ. And therefore, you should never say, you should never say, I have, no, 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 no. You're listening to yourself. Just listening to yourself. You need to start preaching to yourself. God forgives. Who forgives? How many? Everybody, anybody know? How many? All, All your sins. You mean, you mean the ones that you 
did that were really, really horrible? Does God forgive you of those? I don't believe you. No, it's not true. Does God forgive you of all of your sins? Of course he does. And you have, the reason that you sound so, listen. Imagine if I was in court for a year with the person, and they were taking me to court, and they were, say, they were accusing me of something that I did. Imagine if I, and I've had this before, when I've gone to court for my mother for her apartment. My mother has one of those apartments that she's been in for like 40 years. And so every now and then, the landlord wants to get her out. And we can go through that court system for a year. And I'm telling you, when the judge throws that out of court, it usually takes a year. But when he does, there's a great joy. You know why you don't feel the great joy when we say, you mean God has forgiven all your sins? Because it's not real. You haven't preached it down deep in your soul. So the first thing we find out, let's see if we can do this like this. Can you see that better? Okay. First thing is that God forgives. He forgives. We see this in Ephesians chapter 1, 7. God forgives. Preach it to yourself. Do you feel shame? Do you feel guilt? Did you blow it with your kids? Do your kids remind you of how bad parents you were? You can tell them. Listen to me. You can tell them. Not only was I that bad, I was worse. You are so right. I was a terrible parent. And I've come to God to ask for God. You know if God forgives bad parents? Did you know that? Did you know that? God, did you know that God forgives murderers? Did you know that? Did you know that God forgives pedophiles? You know that God will even forgive someone as grimy as you? It's true. It's true. He forgives. And I know that there's a group of you here right now who go, I don't want God's forgiveness. I, I, I can, I'm going to be good on my own. Everybody should, and here's my argument to you. You're simply not that good. You're simply not. I mean, none of us are. We are so self-centered. We have motives. God looks at our hearts, and he sees the motives of our hearts that nobody else sees. God knows the real reason why we help uh, so-and-so or why we've served so-and-so. We're not that good. But you know what? If you struggle, if you struggle with unforgiveness, if you struggle with shame, remember, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. What else does God say? He who forgives. Oh, and Ephesians 1, 7. Let's read this together. 1, 2, 3. In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Check this out. When we become a Christian, it's not because we're any good. It's because we're forgiven. And so God has forgiven us, not because of anything that you've done, but based on the goodness and the merit of Christ's sacrifice on your behalf. That is astounding. In him we have redemption. Preach that to yourself when Satan reminds you about how bad a, a spouse you are. When Satan reminds you of how bad a kid you, you were. 
when Satan reminds you how bad an employee you were. Not an excuse to continue to go on, but if you know you're forgiven, it changes you. It's like the tarantula thing. It changes you. It's like you're shocked that you could receive that kind of forgiveness. Have you received that deeply into the deepest shame? I'm still trying to. I hope you will too. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. He heals. Did you know not only does God forgive, he heals. This is amazing. Let's look at 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 2.24. God heals. He says this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Isn't that good news? Listen, beloved, he's healed all your That means, think about this. Think about this. There are some of you here right now who are walking around with a terminal illness. In other words, there's no cure for this. Um, there won't be another cure for this for another 50 years. This will physically take your life. If Jesus doesn't come again, this will physically take your life. You can be reminded, listen to me, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Why? So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. In other words, because Christ has died on the cross for your sins and mine, this body is not the ultimate body that we receive. That there's a new body that we get. A new body in the new heavens and the new earth, my body will be able to do a full split. My body will be able to jump and dance like never before. My body will have energy and strength like it does it right now. My body will never suffer with male pattern baldness. My new body will be awesome. Will be awesome. You're healed. You know why you're depressed because of your sickness? You don't remember. You don't remember. You're going to be healed. You're healed. You can walk in that. that the, listen, my, you know, that my body is fading away, that the doctor might have to chop off pieces of my body in order to spare so that I can get a little bit longer. Listen to me. This is not the end. This is not the end. I've told you this illustration before, but it's really powerful, especially um, when you think about depression and sickness. Um, I told you the story about how I went to, um, uh, I went to a, uh, um, a conference. And um, in the conference, my wife set me up in this hotel. Um, I think the name of the hotel was the Bates Hotel. <laughs> it was awful. It was awful. I had, I was, listen, I grew up in Brooklyn and when Brooklyn was real bad. In the 80s, I pride myself on not being afraid of nothing. I was locking my car. I was like, you know, like you're like out the window. I was looking at my car. I was going doop, 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 making sure that my door was locked. I walked in. There was a chalk, a chalk outline of a body on my carpet. It was awful. I walked in. This was the most horrible experience I've ever been to when it comes to a hotel. I, I said, you know, at one point I was so discouraged by the oppression and fear that I felt. I said, I ain't going to, come on, man. I ain't going to be afraid like this. I'm going to go out and study in the lobby. 
and by God's grace, interestingly enough, I got, well, a couple of things happened. I got propositioned by prostitutes, and um, I said no, just in case you want to know how the story ended. And so, and so, and then secondly, I was able to help a woman get uh, housing, and that was from someone in our church. We were able to house her and help her get her documentation. It was awesome. She was homeless, and she had her kid. It was really scary. But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story was is that I had to stay there for two days, and I hated every second of it. It was disgusting. It was dirty. It was dangerous. I feared for my life. I felt tension every moment that I was in the hotel. I was the first time that I had ever, you know that chain that goes on a hotel thing? It was the first time I ever put that thing on, as if the bolt couldn't hold, like that chain was going to hold somebody, right? And so I was really, really nervous. But here was the good news. The good news was I was in a hotel. I wasn't home. When you're sick, when you're depressed, sometimes we can focus on what's happening here on this earth. But beloved, I want to tell you, you're not home yet. This earth is not your home. God heals your diseases heals your diseases, and that even if your body perishes, you get a new body and the new heavens and the new earth. You can experience his healing. You wake up with strength you never knew. You've been forgiven. You're healed. Preach this to yourself. When you hear your body, just listen to yourself. It's, oh gosh, I feel so weak. I feel so depressed depressed. I feel so distressed. I feel so discouraged. God, in Christ, you have healed. By your wounds, I am healed. And even if this body perishes, I will rise. It's because we're healed in Christ. I think you're the only one who got that. I'm telling you, that was good. That was good. That was awesome. Yeah, all right, let's try. Let's try. All right. All right. So um, let's go, let's go um, to the next one. Let's see verse 4. Who redeems your life from the pit. So God redeems. Let's write this down. He redeems. He redeems. And we'll find that in Psalm 34, 22. Psalm 34, 22. Ah, uh, okay. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Psalm 34, 22. This is awesome. He redeemed. That means um, God rescues. When, when it says that God redeems you from the pit, the pit is like synonymous with grave or death. That's, that's what the scriptures are talking about. When the scriptures say, um, uh, when the scriptures speak of um, the pit. And so here, God is going to rescue you from the grave. God is going to, he's, gonna, he's going to redeem us. That even in the darkest times, we can know that we won't be in the grave forever. God will redeem us from the pit. Let's go on. He crowns you with love and compassion. Let's write that. Crowns you. Preach this to yourself until your soul becomes hot for Christ Psalm 23, 6. Psalm 23, 6. And here's, God crowns you. And here's what it says. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house 
of the Lord forever. My gosh. You know why you guys aren't, you know why you guys are not like jumping up and down and going crazy? You know why this hasn't gotten like all Pentecostal yet? Because, because you don't really believe he's forgiven you. You mean, wait, you mean all your shame is gone? Yep, all of it. In Christ, all of it has. He's healed you. You mean, you mean, it, you, imagine, especially those of you who are dealing with an illness. If right now, imagine if I, with one touch, I could give you the, the strength that you had when you were 22. You would, not sit, you would not be sitting in the chair. You'd be like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And, and the fact is, if I did that, you're going to die. Anyway, like if I healed you right now, what do you got? Another 15, 20 years, 50 years? Doesn't matter. You're going to die again. God says he's going to heal you and give you a permanently new body. But we're not excited about that. You know why? Because we haven't remembered. We haven't preached it to our souls. He's healed you. He's healed you. But I struggle. I rest. Yeah, yeah, I know. But preach. I get it. Hear yourself. Hear the things that you struggle with. But all, don't stop there. Preach to yourself. He's forgiven. He's healed. He's redeemed. He crowns you. He crowns you. And I will dwell in the house. God will honor you. Let me tell you something. Do you feel disrespected? Do you feel dishonored? Do you feel unappreciated? Do you feel like people are just taking advantage of you? God crowns you. God honors you. Those of us here who have the lowest rung positions, I mean, doesn't matter. We're a dishwasher in a dive diner. Some of those, some people who are dishwashers and dive diners will get the greatest honor. Will get the greatest honor. Do you feel disrespected? You can be alive. You can rejoice because God will bestow honor on you. And it won't be for an hour or a day or a year. It will be forever and ever. Your esteem, your esteem doesn't come. Your esteem doesn't come from what you've accomplished on this earth. Your esteem comes from what God has accomplished in you. And in Christ, God says, remember, are, are you feeling, are you feeling down because nobody respects you? Remember, I'll crown you. I'll honor you. Not only will God crown you with love and compassion, and this is beautiful, because when God crowns you, when God honors you, he honors you with the most beautiful thing that all, I mean, my goodness, we all walk around saying, right, what do we want? We want love. We want happiness, right? God says, I'll crown you with it compassion and love. And then, and I love this one, satisfies. Satisfy. God will satisfy. And that we find in Psalm 90, 14. Look at that. Look at what God says in Psalm 90, 14. It says this, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all the days of our life. There have been stages in my life, I don't know about you, but there have been stages in my life where I've felt dissatisfied with where I am in life. You know, have you ever, like, I, I, when I hit 25 was a big one. I was like, man, I thought I would be much farther down the line than this. And then when I hit 30, it was another big one. It's like, man, I thought I was going to be much farther down the line than this. And then when I hit 40, it was like, all right, bro, I think I see a pattern here, right? 
Because whenever I look for satisfaction in this world, no matter what, I will always be disappointed. It, no, nothing lasts forever here on this world. Nothing does. Like you think, you go, oh man, if I only, listen, some of you are, are single and you go, if I only had a, a, a spouse, then I would be satisfied. See, here's the problem. Even, when, I mean, you, you can talk about some of the most successful people in the world, and they'll tell you, achieving your dreams doesn't satisfy you. Madonna, years and years ago, has an article. Um, uh, oh, man, I got to start remembering my sources. Um, but so she, she spoke in this interview in this magazine, and she said, um, I'm never satisfied. It only satisfies me for a little bit. Like, I'll win an award, or I'll have a number one album, or a number one song, and I'm good for a little while, but and then after a while, I start longing for more. I start feeling empty inside. And here's my fear. And, and by the way, I'm not bashing on Madonna. The fact is, is that she's, she's simply more aware than most of us are. See, listen to me. Listen to me. My fear is that you're not going to have the kind of success that Madonna has so that you could see for yourself that the longings that you have that you think will satisfy you will not satisfy you. My fear is that you'll always want it, thinking that you, if you just get it, if you just get it, and you'll die that way. My satisfaction does not come from whatever goal I think I can find because the fact is, no matter what, you will, it will not satisfy forever. I just recently... I just recently got back to playing the guitar. Some of you didn't know I played the guitar. Yeah, I used to play in a jazz band that used to be a lot of fun. And after like 10 or 15 years of not playing the guitar, I just recently started to play. And I bought what I thought uh, would be the amp that would make me happy. <laughs> now, some of you won't get this, but when you're, when you're a guitarist, what you need is you need an awesome, uh, an awesome guitar, and you need an incredible amp. You need some floor pedals and things like that, but what you really need is an awesome guitar and an awesome amp. And so I, I, I have my guitar, which is fine, and then I got this amp. And, and I was like, this amp is awesome. And I got it, and I put it home, and it was awesome. But after around 30 minutes of playing with it, I go, oh, okay. I, need, I, think, I, I think I need a, a Gibson 335 now, right? right? It's like a, like a $7,000 guitar. And so what's the point? The point is is that the amp was never meant to satisfy me. You know what else was never meant to satisfy you? Are you ready? Your kids. You know what else? Your spouse. You know what else? Your job. These things were never meant to satisfy me. Now, I can find great joy in them. I can even, but they were never meant to be the foundation of my satisfaction. Your hobby, your talent, your giftings, your money, None of this was ever meant to satisfy. The only thing that was ever meant to satisfy is your king. Satisfy us. That's why the psalmist prays, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. That we, why? So that we may sing for joy and be glad all of the days of our lives. How do you be happy, folks? Listen, this is it. Satisfy yourself. So those of you who have horrible marriages right now, very difficult marriages. Let me speak to you for a second. You were never meant to find satisfaction in your spouse. You were meant to overflow the satisfaction of Christ into your spouse. There's the difference. 
And so when I'm satisfied in Christ, I can enjoy, I can celebrate. Now there are certain, certainly some situations in marriage where you just have to like remove yourself, especially violent um, situations. Of this I'm not talking about. But I'm talking about, you know, that low-grade frustration you've been with your spouse for like 15, 20, you know. It's this, they call it the seven-year itch, but sometimes it can happen at year 15, sometimes it can happen at year 20. And you think, this is, listen, this is why men lose their minds, quit their jobs, buy a Corvette, and leave with the secretary. This is why men do this at 40. Because they think the problem is their wife. They think their problem is their children. They think the problem is their job. They're trying to find satisfaction in all the wrong things. I'm telling you, we sing songs. This is so true. You don't even have to be a Christian to believe this. All you have to be is a Rolling Stones fan to know this. I can get no satisfaction, but I try and I try. And I try, and I try. Why? What is he doing? What is he doing? Yeah, I can't get right. Yeah, yeah. Walking my th- yeah, right, right, right. Right. So, so what is he doing? He's saying I continually go to a well that is dry. I continually look for satiation. I continually look for my parched throat to get the satisfaction that it needs from a well that only has sand. Beloved, when you go to your spouse, when you go to your work, when you go to your money, when you go to your hopes, when you go to your talent, when you go to your dreams, when you go to your kids, when you go to whatever you think will make you happy, that's not Jesus. You will find yourself unsatisfied. And God will give you satisfaction. Let's look at, let's look at this. Let's look, let's look at, yeah, 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 let's look at this, right? So, right, God, what does he do? Let's, what's the first thing God does? He what? Forgives. What's the next thing he does? He heals. What's the next thing he does? Redeems. What's the next thing he does? Crowns. What's the next thing he does? Satisfies. And this is a, only a partial list. This is not nearly an exhaustive list. We haven't even exhausted the psalm, let alone the, the entirety of Scripture. This is just a partial list. So here's what I want you to do this week. This week, some of you, what I want you to do is I want you to find quiet time. Quiet time throughout the day. I want you to, if you, if you can do this, um, some of us physically can't do this, right? We can't get on our knees because we have bad knees, et cetera. But if you can, I want you to find a way to humble yourself. If you can't get on your knees, another way that I humble myself is that I'll, I'll sit on my, my chair in my office, and when I pray, I'll put my hands palm up and my head bowed. It's a form of humility. I I just go, God, everything in in my mind, what I'm telling God is everything that I have is yours and you can take it out. I'm holding on to nothing. It's all yours. Take my wife, my kids, uh, this this church. I don't care. It's all yours. It's all yours. You are glorious. And so that's a way to humble yourself. So you can do that, or you can get on your knees. And some of you, I want you to beat this into your skull. God, you have forgiven me. And maybe you'll just have to go over Ephesians 1.7, or go over Psalm 103.3, and just continually, continually, continually remind yourself, I've been forgiven. And when that thing comes up that you did at 3 o'clock in the morning, Tuesday, that summer night, when that thing comes up, when that thing comes up, you can go, forgive him, 
forgiven. Oh, but look at how, and then you can hear yourself. And you can go, but you know how bad that was? You know how many people you hurt? You know how many other, uh, the families you destroyed with what you did? And you can bring, and you can weep over that. Because it doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that we don't hurt over the hurt that we've caused others. But we weep over it, and then we go, Jesus, have mercy on them. I've made such a mess of their lives. Would you have mercy? And would you express your forgiveness to me? Would you remind me of your forgiveness? Some of you are going to have to spend time doing this. Some of you, you're going to have to go heal. You know, when you wake up in the morning, and, and you know, th- this is a, a new phenomenon. You, has, has, did anybody go through the transition of where you used to wake up in the morning, you used to just jump out of bed, and then now you wake up in the morning and you're like, you do that little crawl thing until you sit up, and then you got to move your back. You got to make sure your toes are there. Make sure the blood has rushed to your head before you say, has anybody gone through that transition yet? Raise your hand. Bunch of old people in this audience, I know. I've not gone through that. That's not my issue at all. Yeah. You kidding me? I'm doing that now. I'm like moving my back, making sure I'm not throwing nothing out. Yeah. And so, so those of us who are going through that, and, and, and some of us who are going through some real severe stuff, I know that, that we have people here who are struggling with HIV, some people who are struggling with cancer, some people who are struggling with Alzheimer's, and some people, you know, just, we're struggling, right? He heals. Some of you who are struggling with addiction, he heals. Some of you who are, he heals. He heals, and you need to beat that into your head. He heals. Some of you are going to have to spend time, and just, just a few minutes, you could do this. You can do this. Redeems. Just going to go, wait, I'm redeemed. He's, he's sparing me from the worst. He's redeeming my life. Some of you crowns, you feel so dishonored. You feel like your parents told you, you ain't never going to be anything. You're never going to amount to anything but a hill of beans. You're not even going to amount to that. God honors you. God honors you. This world will never write a book about you. God has you engraved on his hands. He'll honor you. And some of you, will have to repent from trying to find satisfaction in people and things and find it in Jesus. You know why we can pray this? We can be forgiven because Jesus bore our shame. We can be healed because he was wounded for our transgressions. Jesus was. We can be redeemed because the innocent one gave himself up as guilty so that you and I can be redeemed. We can be crowned because the one who bore the crown in heaven was born in a manger and bore a crown of thorns here on this earth. And we can be satisfied because the one who is the fount of living water said, I thirst, and yet was never satisfied. Beloved, we can because Jesus has done all this for us. Stir this up. Preach this to your heart. Pray this into your soul. Let's pray. Father, um, Lord, the fact is, is that many of us Many of us are right now presently in this desert. We're like that dog that we talked about. 
We haven't feasted on you for so long that we don't even hunger. We don't even desire you. And so, Lord, I pray I pray that you would stir our affections for Jesus. That you would remind us that only wicked, broken people come to you. And so if we discover in our own souls that we're wicked and broken, remind us, Lord, that the only people who are allowed to come before you are the people who bring nothing. Remind us, Lord, because we forget, we think we have to impress you still. And so, Lord, would you speak to our souls, drawing us to yourself. And so as we go throughout this week, Lord, as I go throughout this week, I want to be able to preach these into my heart, taking your word and drilling it down deeper into my soul. Being reminded, Lord, that you are all that I need to feel forgiven and healed and redeemed and crowned and satisfied. Lord, remind us of this. When we're discouraged and depressed, remind us of this. When we're anxious and hurt, remind us of this. When we're full of shame, remind us of this. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.